Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. The story is told about an emperor many, many years ago who got all of his wise men together and said, I want you to record the wisdom of the world. So they did. They worked for years and years and years. And they came back and they presented him with 10 volumes of the wisdom of the world. He said, who's going to read 10 volumes of the wisdom of the world? I, I need it condensed. So they went away and several years they came back. They had one volume. He said, nobody's going to read one volume. So they went away and they came back with a paragraph. He said, no, it's got to be more condensed, more concise. And they worked on it and worked on it, and they came back and they handed him a three-by-five card. And he looked at the three-by-five card, and he knew that the wisdom of the world had finally been simmered down into something everybody could use. You want to know what the three-by-five card said, don't you? It said there's no such thing as a free lunch. Now, I want you to know that there's a lot of wisdom in that, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about today in this passage. First, he talks about hating your father and mother. That's the explanation of what it costs to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to visit that. Then he talks about the illustration, the man building a tower or an emperor or a king being in a war. He talks about building and resources. And then finally, he talks about our individual re responsibility, our application of the Christian belief to our lives. What does that mean for us? I've been working on this sermon all week, and, uh, and the title of this sermon is Puppies, Porsches, and Playsets. Now, raise your hand if you've ever had a puppy. There we go. Almost everybody. And I got to tell you, puppies are cute. Kim got the new puppy. She posts the pictures. I love the pictures of Kim's new puppy. So let's say you get the new puppy. What do they not tell you about a new puppy? It won't sleep. It's going to pee on the carpet. It's going to do other things on the carpet. It requires not just the puppy. It's got to have shots. It's got to be spayed and neutered. You have to walk it in the rain. You have to walk it in January when it's negative 16 degrees and two feet of snow. They don't tell you this when you get that cute little puppy. And all you think about is those wonderful television and movie images, you know, of the dog frolicking in the field and jumping on its owner and all of that love. Jesus says, the Christian life is not like that. I'm going to tell you exactly what it costs. I don't know about you know, I don't know if you know this, but most people in America, when they get a raise, buy a new car. They upgrade. I'm getting a hundred or two hundred dollars a week, and they I'm getting a new car. Now, what the new car salesman doesn't tell you is come the end of the month, your insurance is going to go up. And uh, well, I rode my motorcycle today. In fact, there's a Facebook post. I safely rode my motorcycle to church today and forgot my church keys. 
But when you, when you change the registration, you have to call the insurance company and they, they move it up. But they don't tell you on the phone how much they're moving it up to. That's a little bit of a surprise. And I, I have to put a high test into the motorcycle. Now, you might think, well, it's only got, what, three, four-gallon tank? Yeah. Have you seen the cost of diesel and high test lately? The cost of gas goes up. The cost of caring for the car goes up. And if you own a Porsche, nobody tells you this because we've all seen the Porsches go zipping by. And yes, in my heart of hearts, sometimes I lust after the Porsche Cayenne, their SUV. It's got double the amount of oil that other cars have. You have to let a Porsche warm up longer than other cars. And you're going to get the payment. You're going to get the higher insurance. And the new car, that new car feeling you get, the research says lasts about three to four weeks. Why? Because in four weeks, you're going to get the first payment. You're going to get the first oil, oil bill, right? The insurance and all of that, it's going to go up. Now, the last one I, I heard from uh, Dr. Dobson years ago, and uh, I didn't believe it until it happened to me. You get little children, and they want a play set in the backyard. And the grandparents, uh, for my children, bought one of the original timber ones. Now, everybody has them now, but you remember back in the late 80s, you went from the uh, aluminum tubes to getting the timbers. And we spent hours, I'd say probably 10, 11 hours, building this thing in the backyard. It had swings, it had slides, it had a Batman pole, it had a little building on the top of the slide, like a Ford. I mean, it, it was, and we worked, and we tightened, and we screwed, and we sawed. You know what it says at the very bottom of that place set instructions? All the bolts and screws need to be tightened every three months for the safety and stability of this product. You have just built this beautiful thing in your backyard, and now you are committed every three months to go out with your wrench and your screwdriver and tighten it all up because it'll be your fault if it falls apart and the kids get hurt. We're back to the emperor. There's no such thing as a free lunch. So let's look at the scripture a little more closely, and I, I want to start with your uh, Bible lesson for the day, your biblical language lesson for the day. When we hear the word hate, we hear an emotional word. Love, ah, and hate, err. But when the uh, Aramaic speaker said hate, it was not a feeling word. It was more of a priority word. I want you to hear what the dictionary says. It means to abandon, to leave aside, to reject, or to love less than something else. Hear that again. It means to abandon, to leave aside, reject, or love less than something else. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to be willing to abandon, leave aside, reject, or love less than me, your mother and father. He's not throwing them out of your life. He's saying there is a priority here. 
I heard a story about a, a pastor who fell in love. And he wanted to marry the girl. And he got one down one on one knee and he had the ring in his hand. And he said, will you marry me? I promise that you will be the second most important person in my life. He was telling the truth. Jesus says we need to abandon or set aside everything else to follow him. The second thing he talks about is building the tower. Now, uh, you know that Vicki and I are putting a screened porch on our house. And the guy gave us an estimate for the screened porch and it listed all the things that he's going to do. We put a deposit down because you don't expect the guy to buy all the stuff. Well, so he's a very good contractor. I actually gave his number to Linny to look at our uh, staircases, our, our um, ramps outside, because he won't cash the check until the materials are at your house. Because everybody's afraid that you write that check and then you never see him again. So he's a godly man. He shows up, but I know and you know and he knows that there are going to be unseen costs in the building of the screen porch. And that when he comes to me, and he, he will be apologetic, he'll say, Doc, this is what the estimate was. That's why it's called an estimate. These are the unforeseen costs that arose. That's what happens when you're building a tower. In Jesus' day, you say, oh, the tower cost a thousand drachmas, whatever. Well, it cost a thousand dollars unless... There's a sinkhole, or the camel breaks his leg, or, you know, all, all that stuff goes up. Jesus says, you've got to count the entire cost. I want you to hear that. Or if a, a, a king is going to go out with his army and fight another king. Or let's say uh, an Iraqi ruler decides to invade Kuwait. Not that this might happen in real life. And he's got the imperial guard that everybody is afraid of. They're supposed to be fierce fighters and well-equipped. He didn't count the cost, did he? When all of those other countries came up and said, you can't do this. According to the Bible, he should have been very wise and said, okay, I, I'm going to back up and talk for surrender. But no, Saddam Hussein fought the battle, and ultimately lost because he didn't count the cost. Jesus says there's a battle here. Soren Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard said that there are a lot of parade ground Christians, I want you to hear this, who wear the uniform of Christianity, but few who are willing to do battle for Christ and his kingdom. And when it comes to doing battle for the Lord, many church members are just sitting on the premises instead of leaning on the promises. Jesus says, first you have to prioritize. Abandon, set aside, and love less than you love me. And the second thing you do is count the cost, and the cost is not how many hymns you can sing, how many dollars you can put in the plate, how many different places in the church you could keep warm with your caboose. The battle is outside of this building. 
are people at your workplace, are people at your school, or are people at your whatever, aware of your heart for Christ and the priorities it makes. And Jesus talks a lot about salt, but today he says, you are the salt. And were you listening? He said, it's not good to eat or not good for the dung heap. And now some of us think that it's not even worth throwing it away. That's not what it meant. I, I learned something this week. And sometimes when you're preparing a sermon, you learn stuff you don't want to learn. This falls into that category. You have to preserve manure. And in Bible times, the way they preserved manure was by salting it. I don't like the idea of preserving manure. I didn't think I would ever have that discussion in 40 years of preaching. But Jesus says that salt preserves food, it flavors food, and it fertilizes what becomes food. I want you to hear that because all three are actions. Following Jesus is not being a passive participant. Following Jesus is being an active combatant in the spiritual warfare of life. They're all actions, saving, flavoring, and growing. Now, we have the church in general. We have nice buildings. We have beautiful music. We have entertaining sermons, at least I hope so. We have nice, friendly people. We have free food on occasions. We have Bible classes. But hear this, friends. The church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century is not moving. So what does this mean for us? Well, several centuries ago, there was a mountain village in Europe. And a wealthy nobleman wondered what legacy he should leave to his townspeople. He made a good decision. He decided he was going to build them a church. No one was permitted to see the plans for the inside of the church until it was finished. And at its grand opening, the people gathered and marveled at the beauty of the new church. Everything had been thought of and included. It was a true masterpiece. And someone said, wait. Wait a minute. Where are the lamps? It's really quite dark in here. How will the church be lighted? And the nobleman pointed to some brackets on the wall. And then he gave each family a lamp, which they were bring to church each time they came to worship. The noble said, each time you're here, the place where you seat, sit will be lighted. And each time you're not here, that place will be dark. This is to remind you that whenever you fail to come to church, some part of God's house will be dark. We have a responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ, not just to sit, but to move. Not just to pray, but to act on that prayer. Jesus has no hidden costs. There's no puppies <laughs> No Porsches, no play sets. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, this is what it costs. 
Did you hear what it said at the beginning of the reading? Jesus was speaking to the multitudes. <laughs> this is not a good way to increase the crowds at your sermon. Now, you may or may not know this, but when you're an adjunct professor, which I was for many years, there's no limit on how many students they can put in your class. If you are a tenured faculty member, they limit the number of students, but adjunct faculty can have as many. And there were times that in my psychology class, I had 45 students crammed into a little room. So my first lecture was on the responsibilities that I expected for my students to have in my class. There'll be four one-page papers. There'll be a test every week on the information that we learned last week. Why, you would say? Because I want you to learn what I taught last week before you come to learn this week. There'll be a midterm, there'll be a final exam, and there'll be a seven-page book report at the end. And then I would say this. If this is too much work, tomorrow morning, go to the registrar's office and choose another psychology professor. Somebody who will only give you four tests and a final, and you'll be done. Because I realize that psychology is not the most important thing in your life. Now, if you want to learn what I have to learn and you want a good foundation for wherever you go in sociology, philosophy, or psychology, this is where you need to be. And I would say that probably four or five times through the course of the class. If this is too much work for you, go to the registrar tomorrow morning and drop my class. And then we had a coward's list. What's that? Well, if you didn't drop my class and you just stopped coming and you missed more than three weeks, I had a little spot on the blackboard and it said cowards because they didn't even have the nerve to come and look me in the eye and say, Madison, there's too much work in this class. I'm dropping your course. Imagine Jesus is teaching my psychology class and he says, this is what it costs to follow me. And if you don't want to follow me, go to the registrar's office. That's what he's saying, in essence. And if you pretend to follow me, but sort of disappear, we're going to keep a list at the front of the church. Wouldn't that be exciting? And we'll call it the cowards list of the people who just disappeared. Jesus really said three things today. The first one is, if you're going to follow me, I come first. The second thing he said is, if you're going to follow me, it will cost you everything. Hear that? That's the scary part for a lot of us. It will cost you everything. And the third thing he says, if you follow me, you will be like salt, and you and I together will make a difference in the world. Jesus, like the emperor at the beginning of the sermon, are pretty much saying the same thing. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Amen.